Hello everybody and welcome to the All The Anime Podcast. Uh, you may have recently listened to our Jury Deliberation Podcast, but we're back with another bonus episode uh, because we are gathered at the end of the Edinburgh weekend. It's, uh, it is the Sunday, we're, we're almost done, a few thumbs left to go, um, and I'm joined by both uh, Jonathan Clements once again. Hello. And also Festival Director Andrew Partridge. Hello. So uh, yeah, we're, we're at the final day, um, our audience award has been decided, um, and we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, if you've listened to our jury deliberation podcast, you know who the winner is there. Uh, but this is really just a bit of a gathering to talk about the kind of the... The festival, how it went, um, we've been running, running a survey this year that we've had some really good feedback on, so this is really just kind of a general catch-up on, on how things have gone and to, to talk things over. So, Andrew, I guess I'll hand over to you first. Like, How has is, how is this year's festival been from, from your perspective? Um, interesting, all in all. We're dealing with like a sort of... not. I don't really like calling it post-COVID just now because it's still fucking in the middle. Post. Pardon my, my swearing, but it's still in the middle of it right now mm-hmm. and like it's a period of adaptation time like the 20 like 2021 festival if it happened was always going to be a case of learning how to make everyone comfortable to be in the cinema and how you manage like the fact that not like you know there's restricted seating sizes depending on the screen like and just general comfort and people who can't necessarily travel for whatever reason now so the numbers have been like pretty good actually. It's not the lowest year of attendance. Like it's like I think it's around the ninth overall. Like the ninth overall in terms of like people through the door for admissions. I think it's worth pointing out as well, Andrew, that we've got twenty five percent less room in the cinema because of social distancing. Yes, in the film house definitely, and the, the GFT less so on it. But like it's it's true that there's like there's less capacity as well. So it's like it's. It's a good turnout all in all. Basically, it's a kind of a rule of thumb from a festival director's point of view of if it's not the lowest year in the festival, you're doing your job. Mm. Because, like, if you've got... Like, if the bar's set somewhere for, for the lowest one, anything about... You'll know that not every year is going to be the number one festival, like, for the year. So this could... Like, in, in what I'm saying, I guess, is you could look at those numbers completely unaware, like, of the pandemic situation, etc., and go, well, that's a normal festival for us. Just, like, given the films we had, I would have expected in a normal year to be a bit stronger. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also been an interesting year from my perspective, kind of, you know, helping coordinate all of this stuff that obviously once sort of, you know, the year started to progress and it became clear that, like, we've got a, a shot at running a physical festival it's sort of been almost a return to sort of ground zero with some of the stuff in terms of what dates are we running the festival, things like that, because, of course, every festival was suddenly like, right, well, we can run, and there was sort of a scramble for yeah. dates. So stuff that's sort of been set in stone for quite some time, we've sort of had to revisit and just question, like, is this still the, the smart place to do this, the smart way to do this? So it's sort of, much as I don't want to say there's been, like, a positive side from there being a pandemic, like, it has been a good opportunity to revisit everything and kind of ask, like, oh, are, are we doing the right thing with a lot of this? So it's kind of been an interesting opportunity as far as that goes to discuss a lot of the, the core stuff that we've just had, you know, it's, it's just the way it's always been. Yeah, like, I think so on it. I think it's been a good... It's been a good year for resetting on stuff, mm. I think, that it's been, like... It's been productive, like, all the while. I'm glad we got to run. I think there's a, like, a really nice feel. I've not been to a lot of cinema screenings myself since the pandemic, 
like full stop on it despite being double vaccinated and such this felt there was a nice the same festival energy was in the air basically mm. I think despite distancing masks etc I think people at least from my end seemed to feel like they were enjoying the same experience like the same kind of core experience that you had in other years which is just an enjoyment of the big screen experience with other people which it's very easy to forget um the last couple of months, I've been opening my copy of Sight and Sound, which I've subscribed to for nearly 30 years, actually for 30 years <laughs> now, and saying to myself, why do I still subscribe to this magazine? This is all arse. <laughs> and, and then last week, after I'd been to see you know, No Time to Die and Dune and uh, The Man Who Painted His Skin, all in the space of about 10 days, I found myself opening Sight and Sound to read their reviews and find out what they thought and kind of get involved in a kind of virtual conversation with people who know more than I do about film. And... I went, that's why I read this magazine. It's because of the cinema thing, which I'd actually forgotten about. Because yeah. uh, that's the, it's the absences uh, of, of the, the pandemic year that you don't notice. And you only notice them you know, when, when they've gone away. Mm. So it's the absence of the absences. Mm. Yeah, and I think, like, logistically, everything went, like, actually surprised. Like, despite having reset, having to work out what the new normals were on it. Yeah. Like, all in all pretty well, I think. Well, I mean, there's a, f- a few experiments uh, which may or may not transform certain natures of the festival in years to come, one of which is the uh, the, uh, the extra venues, uh, yeah. which we still haven't seen the effect of because that's coming in November. Um, the other one is recorded Q&As, yeah. um, which we never bothered with before um, and which made my life substantially easier at the festival, partly because we're not looking after Japanese guests. So... Mm. So when I bounce up on the stage and introduce a film, I'm not also hand-holding and feather-stroking and, you know, trying to look after people behind the scenes and having, you know, two-hour meetings about 45-minute Q&As and all, all kinds of stuff, um, which you often get with, with guest management because, you know, you have to work out how the performance will go and you're doing it live. Um, and I think it's easy for the Japanese because they know they can redact things. If they accidentally libel someone, they can always sneak back in and say, can you just cut that question? Um, but also, uh, we ended up with three director Q and A's this year, um, and it was quite lovely for me. I actually, you know, I sneaked in at the back uh, and, and kind of so I could actually watch from the audience. Um, apart from Paul commenting on the on the, the squalid quality of my office desk, <laughs> uh, which uh, I'm afraid will remain squalid because I don't see why I should buy a new desk just yet. Um, so, so that was also very nice, and we don't know yet what to do about that. I mean, I certainly think that having guests in person isn't something we should suspend. No. But certainly, I suspect moving forward, Andrew's going to say to me, maybe we could do a couple more of these. But I think it's worth augmenting because it's a fact of like a fact of life when you run a film festival. You want to bring every guest you can, but there's a few problems with that. Number one, cost of flights. Like, it's very expensive to bring guests even on if you pack them all into a crate and ship them. Mm. Like, number two, interpreters. You Like, it's not logistically possible unless you have a mad tour group mm-hmm. set up for our, outside of the festival to really have enough interpreters without the cost also skyrocketing. Because that is, like, that is something you should never, ever cheap out on, on it. You want, like, if you want a good event, the interpreter is as critical as having a guest there on it. And it's... Like it's I, I, I agree, of course. I mean, we've always uh, uh, been very keen on interpreters right from um, day one of the festival 12 years ago. 
Uh, and in fact, they've been quite invisible this year. I mean, uh, Bethan Jones, the Bethantron 9000, and uh, Kozue Etsuzen um, have both worked on uh, a festival, but have been snipped out of the Q&As and replaced by subtitles. So it's not, they're not, their presence isn't immediately there, yeah. but they've, they've done a lot of work behind the scenes. I think the benefit of it overall, the thing which we realise as a result of those costs is that like, actually people are comfortable with doing Zoom interviews and such now and recording. Like, the technology to make that happen has actually moved with the business times, basically, of the pandemic in yeah. our favour on it. And, like, it's it means that now instead of having just one film which we focus on and have a Q&A, we can focus on, right, how many how many films can we get to? Can we get every film in competition with a Q&A? Can we get every film plus a curated strand? Yeah. For example, it's like... It can become an iterative process of growth. It's not going to happen next festival, but we have everything. But we're not. This isn't something which is going to roll backwards. It's something which we, we need to take the momentum and push it towards. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, the, the other thing with that is, you know, in terms of Japanese guests, is just their availability. Sometimes, you know, yeah. we've often had guests that have wanted to come to us. We've wanted them to come, but if they're in the middle of another project or if they're busy with something. You know, the, the the stars have to align very precisely in terms of yeah. everybody being available at the same time. Whereas with a pre-recorded Q&A, you know, if you arrange it far enough advance, you know, we can give them a big window of, like, when are you available within these times? And, you know, we can record that well in advance, which is another big benefit. Right. And I think also, I think fandom often assumes that when someone is invited as a guest to an event, they jump for joy and do cartwheels down the street and backflips. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, a, a lot of people, you know, even even when there's not a pandemic on, a lot of people can't be asked. A lot of people would be using up their holiday time to do it. A lot of people would be away from their you know their spouses and their kids and, and whatever. And so, uh, and, and then when you bring them here as well, I think people who have been to Scotland Last Anime are very supportive of it and keen to come back. There are several guests that we could name who are like, "When can I come back? When yeah. can I come back? Put me on the jury if you have to. When can I come back?" Uh, naming no names, Jack Lian. Uh, but um, but but also, I think uh, for, for people who've never been before, they don't know the difference between us, full time interpreter, massive entertainment, hookers and blow. That's a joke. There aren't actually any hookers involved, um, and so on. Um, they don't know that, so they think, "Well, I'm going to be in a travel lodge somewhere outside Norwich, you know, sitting on my own, having a hotel breakfast for three days." So they don't know. Uh, that that's ne- that the Scotland's anime experience is necessarily going to be super super fun for them. Um, so um, those are all kind of influences on whether or not a guest um, is liable to come. Um, and I think I mean Andrew's done his best pressing the flesh in Japan to make it clear to them that Scotland is a cool place to be. We know that Naoko Yamada will get on the plane the moment you wave a ticket at her uh, because she loves Scotland so much. Um, but not every. Not every guest is, is liable to think that way. I remember, for example, I don't think this is giving anything away, and Andy will cut it if I did, Keiichi Hara was, was very jumpy and nervy when he came here, and he didn't really kind of get into the swing of things until the festival was over. And then he kind of let himself go, and he was able to enjoy himself, and, and he became so much more chatty once yeah. his film had screened, and he but, kind of got over his nerves. Yeah, I understand that, so I think, like, I can understand performance nerves as well on like mm. if you come to present a, a film and like yeah like until you've done the presenting them I don't relax I think you don't either actually from the time I've seen you don't relax until no, it's you're awful. done for the day it's, basically it's awful for me uh, particularly with, with guests it's, it's a very stressful thing because you're, you're managing 
a live performance with what is often not necessarily a hostile witness, but someone who is cacking themselves about how their film is going to go down. Because that's the other thing. When you invite a guest to something like this, they can often be overwhelmed by um, the... Uh, but by the logistics, they think, oh, I'm going to be representing my film abroad. I must say something deep and meaningful. I, I must, you know, make sure I remember to thank the right people. And, and they get kind of very jumpy about it. So, yeah, I guess while we're, we're talking about changes, uh, we can talk about the Audience Award a little bit, which uh, we have changed a fair bit from previous years due to the, the current circumstances. Um, for people who've been to SLA over the past kind of four years or so, you will have been used to the sight of lollipop sticks um, being foisted around the venue for people to vote on. You got to put a stick in the box with your score from one to five, and that was how we collated votes. Obviously, cinemas and ourselves not too keen on doing that with the, the current situation in terms of hygiene, etc. So this year we moved to a different online model uh, where we were collecting votes and also comments from people on the four films in competition. Um, and so I guess, Jonathan, do you want to run through who the, the winner was? Okay, so uh, the scores are out of five, um, and Andy put together a very nice little system for you know, ranking it all and adding stuff up and taking stuff away, and uh, it will come as a surprise to absolutely nobody that Over the Sky uh, came uh, last with 2.57 out of five. Fortune favours Lady Nikukor, which obviously won the jury award, um, did not get a lot of fan love, and came in at 3.76. Controversially, Bell came in with 4.29, which I would point out as well, uh, would have made it the winner um, at at least one previous audience award. It's a very high score, but it's not as high as Sing a Bit of Harmony, which won with 4.42. Yeah, indeed, because, yes, I mean, Sing a Bit of Harmony has basically entered, like, the top three since we've been running a, a scoring out of five system. Weathering with You still sits top of that chart. With four point five six, I want to eat your pancreas was uh, was second on that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so seeing a bit of harmony, yeah, it's kind of entered the top three there, which is really how it managed to uh, to, to grab that award. It, and it was also an interesting one because there was a definite kind of split between the Glasgow and Edinburgh audiences there. Like yeah. both both of them liked the film; they were both kind of a, a, a score above four. But the the Edinburgh audience seemed to to take to it a lot more. Which is oh, so. So what did uh, seeing a bit of harmony score in Glasgow alone? So in Glasgow alone, it scored a 4.26. So Bell would have beaten it. So Bell, yeah, would have beaten it had it only been uh, the one audience there. Um, yeah. But it scored 4.56 in Edinburgh, which is exceedingly yeah. high. And I think it's interesting to note that the logistics for this kind of thing have all kinds of hidden variables. Mm. And in the case of Sing a Bit of Harmony, it was the first film of the Saturday. Uh, so everyone was incredibly enthusiastic about it. And this is an issue that we have with the jury as well. Is if you're watching a number of films in a day, by the time you're on your third or your fourth, there may be a little bit of fatigue and there may be a little bit of... Um, uh, yeah, I think fatigue is the right word. You, so so Bell being the third film in competition that people watched that day, people may have developed a degree of, of snittiness that might not have... If, if things were reversed and Bell was on first, yeah. everyone would have been like, five out of five, God, that's amazing! Uh, I'm in a cinema again, Wah! and then maybe so. So the order that something is screened is starting to become a, a, almost a political decision. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's a like there's pros and cons. To it. I mean, there's also the variable that like which just due to situations outside of us, like hands this year, two of the films couldn't screen in like in Glasgow as well, which doesn't it doesn't alter 
the results so far as here, but like when you have two audiences and one votes heavier than one way than the other, it does give a film a second wind on it, you know? Yeah, yeah, and like, it, 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 can, it can smooth out some of those variables because, yeah. you know, we normally don't have the exact same configuration of what film comes when. So, like, you know, Bell might have been the first on the Saturday had it been in Glasgow as an example or, mm. you know, whatever it is. Yeah, and I think there's... Like, I don't know, there's a lot of balancing facts on it. It doesn't mean that it, like, in terms of actual voter numbers, it all balances out, like in this case, on it. But, like, yeah, like, it's something to keep in mind. And also the the discussion we did have about, like, lollipop sticks versus, like, there's some pros to what we've done this time and some pros to the way it used to be done. I, I totally love it this way. I like having digitally tabulated stuff, which, of course, Andy did anyway with the lollipop sticks, but it's much quicker to do. But I love the comments as well. We, we spent many happy hours reading out the comments. <laughs> um, it's useful for Japan as well, like, actually, as well. Like, it's, it's something that's cared about. I think there's like there, there is a separation between it doesn't have to be both together you know it can be yeah because the question we're wrestling with and I mean you know as, as the person who sort of organises this particular aspect of the festival I want to sit down and actually dig into the numbers because the the speculation that, that we have at this point having done this for the first time is that you get a different audience who will vote online because it's an extra step compared right. to yeah. putting a lollipop stick in a box as you're leaving a cinema you know that's yeah. very low effort mm. any you know there's kind of there's almost like a, a social sort of contract to do it because you see yeah. everybody else doing it gotcha. whereas yeah. doing something on a phone you know yeah. a I think there's a general sense you know if you're voting on something online whether it's like rating a lawnmower you've just bought or whatever yeah. you'll only kind of bother to do it if you've got strong opinions so one way or the other so it only attracts the yeah and you yeah. kind of don't get that same thing in the middle that's so just, that's very true yeah. i actually do not have a phone that would allow me to vote in the audience awards yeah. if i were a member of the audience so you would not have the ones mm. of my opinion yeah well. yeah for example i think it also i think it's exactly that it does risk cutting out people like for example people who don't normally go to see an anime film like i like people of like like parent, like parents' age taking their teenagers. Say, if you're in a cinema with your kid and you want, like, on the way out, I'm not going to be thumbing. I'm not going to be on my phone going mm. to vote. But if I'm leaving with my kid and they're voting as well, I will put my opinion. I will put yeah. my opinion in, and I think that's something we've always prided ourselves on. But what I would say, going back, is there is something we can learn from this and marry up because it doesn't have to be lollipop sticks in future. We can have like iPad set yeah. up. For example, what you just like you do, when you go to a venue, you talk, oh, like, it's, are, you, are you happy? Yeah. yeah, buttons basically, which oh, is very significant. Yeah, so it yeah. can still all be digitized on it, mm. and we can have the same URL running. We'd like to For hear comments, your feedback yeah. about the film. Please send us them. And I think I don't think you would lose a single one of those comments that were sent in. Yeah, fair enough. Why yeah. not? That, that's, that's all very good points. Uh, it's something we said last year, and it's worth bringing up again. The other, the other thing is, is that the audience award, uh, as the scores reflect. Um, tends to reflect someone's immediate and visceral reaction to a film. Mm. Like what you are thinking the moment you walk out of the cinema. And so the difference, for example, between the jury who had all day to think about what they thought of the films and uh, the audience leaving the cinema uh, is, is palpable. And that's why we have two different kinds of award. But the mere act of having to type in the URL 
gives you slightly more time to think about it. And I think that might have skewed things as well. Yeah, and it's, it's always like on a, on a broader sense of that, I'm always fascinated by the people who come to both Glasgow and Edinburgh and see some of the films twice. Mm. Um, and as somebody who used to do that myself, like, you know, back when I was an audience member, you know, sometimes your second viewing can have a completely different take on a film, yeah. whether yeah. it's because of prior context, whether, again, it's because of yeah. when you've watched it, you know, maybe you were really tired when you saw it the first time and the second time you can kind of come to it fresh maybe you're just not in the right mood for something yeah i saw a lot of people saying that about nicker yeah, yeah but what surprised me is no one really saying that about seeing a bit of harmony and I, I would have thought that some people at least would have said on the second viewing this is quite creepy and and i and, I, and we had that from the jury but we i don't think we had that from the audience either. no no i didn't really see that which is surprising because it's a film that does a lot of foreshadowing before it hits its final act so it seemed like a film that's kind of designed to hit differently the second time around but yeah I, I didn't see that as a as a comment either from I think a lot of people who saw it the first time had that kind of feeling had that kind of feeling to start as well mm. I don't think there's I think it's one of those films where it's like I don't think your opinion once you're you're sold on like the sugary nature of it it's hard to see the like the sinister part you know yeah yeah like I think it's like once you're in on the, the musical side it's hard to go backwards unless someone actively goes and tells you if you take the music away this is actually quite sinister or switch in like, sin- I, like I called it in my introduction I called it Skynet the musical yeah, the clues like, were all there but, but, like, but nowadays that's seen as an encouraging thing basically <laughs> that's that's an endorsement for it like yeah it's something to keep in mind for the next time, you know, like I think. Things. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm really interested just to kind of dig deeper into those numbers to see what the, you know, the percentage of the audience voted here compared to other years, you know, does that change and, and so on and so forth. Cause, uh, um, but also this year it's probably worth pointing out that uh, for, for the last few years we've actually announced the audience award on the day, on the Sunday, and, and told everybody what it is, but this year we're not doing that and, and the reasons are really to do with the duty of care that we, we owe to the Japanese to let them know first and give them the chance to respond. So that moving forward, that will be a change. Also, especially relevant, this is the first year we have real physical trophies to send out. I thought we had the, the Scotland Loves Anime Glass Glass. We did before once, but like... It, once. Like... <laughs> okay, I thought that was a thing. And what is it? Is it a golden partridge? No, it's like a proper actual... Like is, it, is it a cat-shaped Oscar? No, because <laughs> like we don't customize it for one film. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be like it would be a little bit pointed. Yeah, but if you listen to this, we'll, we'll definitely put uh, put some pictures up of the awards once uh, once the final ones are. I, I, I still wish it was an actual golden pastridge. I know Andrew refuses to do that because it makes him look like some kind of dictator. But nevertheless, well, I mean, I don't mind the, the like the kind of the like. The, the kind of the social naming of it, but it's not the point of it. The point is it's a real award for a real thing, and I think labelling it actually that belittles the fact of why it's... <laughs> they give away golden leopards at... Uh, oh, that's the award! He, he's showing, For those of you watching in black and white, he's showing me a picture of the award, uh, which is an, an image I approve of, because <laughs> it's the cover of Animea History. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I guess while, while we're talking about the audience, well, we, we should also address the, the other thing that, uh, that that cropped up where, as as is now tradition, I feel like, for Scotland Loves Anime, there was a film that wasn't in competition, but people wished that it was, that being Pompo the Cinephile. Um, so we should probably talk just a little bit, I guess, about, you know, the, the process of deciding and choosing what films go into competition. So 
basically how it works on that level is we put together a long list and then we basically whittle it back. Like the, the long list eventually will become what is our contemporary lineup for the, the thing. So stuff that's new and curationally interesting basically to go in. And like then we whittle it down to four films basically on it. Which is normally off the basis of like the basis of like basically a group decision on it. Like of people like oh they're basically experts on it and we work, we whittle it down based on like original story versus franchise franchise it's very difficult to get into competition with because it's unfair on the jury. It's unfair on the jury to expect them to know. We've had and one the or audience. two and the audience. We had one or two times where that's happened, but it's like it's very, very rare and isolated. No, well. I certainly don't like it. No, it's and like like also about Yeah, about quality. So what we try and do as well is we try and look for new voices like to promote. Like and it's sometimes it's more difficult than others. Now Something like Over the Sky, for example, is an interesting choice on it because it was not only a new film director, but it was also, like, the film even in Japan came out of nowhere. And, like, regardless of the way the the audience award went for it, it felt important to give that a chance to be seen because even in Japan it was not... Like, I mean, I I spoke to colleagues in the industry and they were like, this is news. It, It came literally out of left field for people as a project. Like, and, like... And the design work really stood out for it. Like, there were a lot of, of interesting things about it, you know? So, like, that slid, like, narrowly slid in versus something like Pompo, for example, as well. And, and I think it's, I mean, I don't know if this was a consideration in your deliberations, because I wasn't part of them, but having seen the audience reactions to Pompo, I would say that it's basically award bait at a festival like this. Yeah. And that many of the people in the audience, many of the kind of people who are moved to vote on these films, see themselves in Pompo to a ridiculous degree um, because it's all about, you know, what it's like to work in films and what it's like to have a, you know, a, a dream of becoming a scriptwriter or an editor or an actress or, or, or whatever. And I think that um, it would have got, I think it has got a lot more love. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a great film. I, I, it's, it is one of my favourites at the festival, but I think it has slightly more love than it necessarily warrants because of the way it appeals to the kind of people who go to film festivals. And that might have skewed uh, the kind of reaction that it got as well. Yeah, like I think it's it's like it's a film which was a, like a point of contention even for us yeah. as a part of the selection committee on it. You I know, mean, to, to give an example, um, you can. It's very easy normally to predict who's going to win Best Actress and Best Actor at the Oscars or the BAFTAs yeah. because uh, an impersonation always ranks higher than acting. Yeah. So. If someone is impersonating Margaret Thatcher or Winston Churchill or something, um, the non-actors see that as a better achievement than whatever you know psychological drama someone might like to bring out. And, and so um, uh, voting always skews in favour of impersonation. And I would say film, film festival voting always skews uh, in favour of films about films. Yeah. And it's, all, like, I mean, it's always very hard to get because it is four films in a category, and it's it's four for a particular reason of that's a number which is manageable every year as an original film. Mm-hmm. As original films go, basically on the list. Oh, you've had it's, trouble some years. You've had real yeah. trouble trying to get four films in competition. Yeah. So sometimes it depends on the like the year, but yeah, like in recent years, less so. But yeah, well, we're not dealing with the Miyazaki and post Miyazaki cycle no. anymore. We're 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 back into films coming out when they come out. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, like it's. 
it's, it's always going to happen where sometimes a, fa- a film people want. Night of Short, Walk on Girl was one like that, but Night of Short, Walk on Girl disqualified itself by uh, having a UK-wide release yeah. like in September, basically of that year. So, like, that left one U.S. film. Like, he, admittedly, he had two films out that year, so it left the other one to go in. You and know? his other film did win something, didn't it? I think it did, yeah. Like the war I think it won the jury award, yeah. didn't it? Don't remember. That's too many. Yeah. Someone really should do a Wikipedia page on the award so that we can remember it all. There is a Wikipedia page. Is there? Okay. Yeah. I should really look at that page. Well, it's also constantly on our discussion for the, the actual official SLA website to have a year-by-year breakdown of what screened, what won, etc. Oh, Lou won both. Oh, both the like the audience and jury award right. So yeah, and, and I mean, I guess you know we, we've been running a survey of, after both legs of the festival. Um, well, we've we've asked for your feedback more generally on the festival, and I think one of the things that, that always crops up every festival inevitably is kind of around curation in general of like, oh, why was this film that I particularly wanted to see not in it? You know, why were there more films in Edinburgh, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So I suppose it's also worth touching on that as a more general sense of, you know, the, the curation process and just simply the number of slots that we have at, at, the, at the two venues. Yes, I mean, historically we've always had more slots in Edinburgh basically so we have a full week of one day like Monday through till Thursday we have one screening a day and then we get three like three screenings on the Friday four on each of the other two days basically which creates like a, a really healthy number in Edinburgh in Glasgow you have the Friday we get two films then you get is it three three and three, three, and three. so yeah like so you're already down on the numbers between the two, which is just due to available space and turnaround time. Like, it's not that anything else is screening in cinema one those days, it's just what can be done, basically. And, like, it's something which has been discussed over time, there's never really been a good solution for it on that front. But what we're trying to do this year, for example, so on a, like, a, what we're trying to do forwards on it as a point of view is... Like, we are trying to look back and do screenings in Glasgow later on that mop up. So, for example, we're doing both Death and Rebirth on the 21st of October, which is a Thursday, and The End of Evangelion on Saturday, the 24th of October. Like, we're looking at what we can do with Bell in between because it's the timing just fell right. Like, this year, because of everyone's rescheduling for festivals, Scotland Loves Anime ran a week earlier than usual, which meant that it was right on the time where the London Film Festival. Mm. Premier had to have an abats. That was already committed to beforehand by the distributors, so I, it's... I, think, I think also it's worth pointing out that just because someone asks for something doesn't mean they unnecessarily... I, I will actually want it when they get it. Yeah. Um, uh, Ten years ago, eleven years ago, I was a, uh, a guest curator at the Locarno Film Festival. Yeah. Is that right? Yes, yeah, it, was, right. it was Locarno. Um, and they had an absolutely massive anime presence. They showed yeah. 400... Um, anime, I think yeah. it was a huge number. It was ridiculous, um, and uh, you know they, they had programs of shorts, they had black and whites, they had retrospectives, they had new stuff, they had premieres. In fact, the Red Line, I think, may have had its uh, European premiere there. And uh, the fans did not show up um, in numbers beyond what would it, what it would take to fill a weekend. Basically, if they had just reduced all of their coverage to a single weekend and yeah. run about ten films they would have got the same numbers of fans through because people were not taking two weeks off work to no. sit in a cinema all day to watch you know, three or four films at a time. 
Um, and, uh, and it's not, and their anime coverage at Locarno has not been repeated since because yeah. I think the numbers look really bad because on a Wednesday morning, only three men and a dog showed up to see 1920s Japanese animated shorts. Mm-hmm. What a surprise! I'm shocked. Um, shocked and, and so, uh, while it's true that you know fans may be saying, "Well, I, know, I wish you know there were four more films in competition," would someone really have come for an extra day? Would they have sat through four more films? Because that's the other thing I noticed about Locarno is the same kind of fatigue that sets in with a jury after seeing three or four films in a single day also starts to affect the audiences as well. I mean, you could argue that if there were if there, if there were another day, there would be more choice and people would be able to pick and choose and, and not bother with one film and catch it at a later yeah. screening and so on. That, that, that's certainly true. But every time you add that kind of consideration, you are also adding 25% to everybody's costs. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. So I think it's also fair to say I really do get... It's almost all like optics as, opposed, as well opposed to anything else. But I... Like, was just attending Glasgow, and I saw that, like, Edinburgh, which is only, like, you know, X distance away, etc., had, like, almost double the amount of films I was getting in, like, my city. I would feel, like, you know, especially when there's films like Bell, for example, which are ones, you know, ones that stand out as something people do want a, pre- a preview on the big screen of before theatrical release. So... We do, like, this year's kind of an anomalous year as well, to an extent, on that frontier. Like, for the, for the kind of curation we do, because normally all films of competition, for example, which are normally the cream of the crop, are on in both cities, which, like, measures out some of the issue there on is, it. Is that true? I thought Glasgow often lacked at least one of the competition no, films. Really? every year before. Okay. So this was a, an anomalous year due to prior commitments and materials, basically, on it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, is to say, well, you've got a choice. You can have Bell in one city or have it in no cities at all. Yeah. Um, and, like, I, like it, wasn't, it definitely wasn't about that there. But we are also, like, speaking of curation on it, we're also looking at shaking up what we do in the week in between Glasgow and Edinburgh, for example, and looking at bringing in, using okay. that for guest curation, basically, as well, because it's... We love like a, we all really love curating. Like I personally like a favorite thing curating the lineup, but it's also that's a slot where we we're getting more and more uptake on people coming for the whole week, mm. and there's a lot of interesting things we could do there, which would be nice to yeah. give someone else a shot at doing. Yeah, and I mean that's that's one of the the interesting you know, another piece of feedback of people asking you know why aren't we showing you know films that were maybe like you know 2010 to 2020 films that have had brief cinema releases and not come back and that's always you know that's not something we're completely opposed to but when there's so many new films and things that haven't been in the cinema before that's always going to be yeah and then the there, there's also an audience bias there as well someone who's been to every year of Scotland as anime will have a very different perspective on what they want to see at next year's Scotland as anime than someone who has never been before mm-hmm. I yeah. ran into a guy in the foyer in Edinburgh he said that he'd never heard of Scotland as anime until lockdown and he found screen anime and as a result of screen anime he heard that there was this Edinburgh thing and he came along and he, he, he had an absolutely fantastic time and he says he wants to come every year from now on. He would benefit greatly from a retrospective in the middle mm. of the week yeah. uh, to, to, to catch up on some of the greats from the past. But, you know, the six and seven people sitting around him have already seen those films yeah. and, and probably maybe own them on DVD or something. So it's impossible to please everybody. Uh, but a guest curator would certainly offer all kinds of new possibilities and opportunities to, to do something with that Edinburgh midweek um, which is, you know... Yeah. I think it's also about, like, perspective. I don't think there's an issue with 
like screening a film again, like Redline, for example, if <laughs> someone if someone else brings a new angle to it, and not me jumping up and down on stage screaming Redline, 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 basically. But like my point overall, it's because we had this exact thing when I was like at Edinburgh University and running their anime society, mm. like many many yeah. moons ago, basically, which was we had a, a policy for the, like for at least the time that anyone running it was in university was you don't scream the same thing again. Mm. So it was really weird to come back now and start looking at what best... Because like, I went back recently to take a look at what was, what was airing. I was like, oh, these are stuff like classics, like Cowboy Bebop and such, which we would, ne- like, we would never have done. It's just really interesting to see a different curational take on like on a, like, on a general level then. It's like, as a whole, they're getting different voices to like into the party, basically, to talk about it and give people that perspective. I think it's really... Mm. Like, it's something we've wanted to do for a long time, and I think having a chance to do a reset this year due to, to all the new changes and such. Like, it, it really would, it would be really nice for the, the weekdays at Edinburgh to have a purpose beyond all the stuff we couldn't fit to the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think we're also at the point where we kind of have because that those slots have built up now from being kind of you know sort of you know they're, they're weekday evenings they may be awkward for people now they they have sort of built up to the point where they are very much part of the festival rather than kind of bolted on it makes it easier to to make that decision and say you know we can put important things into those slots and people will still come to them whereas in the past we've you know it's been a dumping ground, really. Yeah, I mean, not. I wouldn't maybe quite phrase it that <laughs> way, but it, it has. It, you know, it has very much. You know, we're, we're not going to put maybe a premiere in those slots because we assume people are going to focus on the main weekend. Yes. Whereas I think you know we've seen. I mean. The, the third um, Heaven's Feel film on Thursday was a good example of that. Fine, it's a franchise film, it's a bit different, but, you know, that had a, a very good attendance for, you know, a Thursday night screen. As did Violet Evergarden. So and Violet Evergarden, I mean, likewise, yeah. And the Violet Evergarden had been available online mm. on Netflix yeah. for, legally, for, like, a year at this point, yeah, yeah. basically. It's... There were a lot of people in the crowd for Violet Evergarden who had booked tickets for the Glasgow premiere yeah. and had, had kind of been waiting to get the cinema experience anyway. And that was uh, that was when we had a recorded um, introduction as well because we had Yui Ishikawa just basically saying hello, you know, kind of waving at the audience. Uh, but there was a lot of enthusiasm in the crowd for the feeling that, you know, they finally had closure, you know, cause, because, I mean, certainly for me, the first sign that COVID was a thing was when the Japanese pulled out of the Glasgow premiere of um, Violet Evergarden. And so to actually get to finally put it on in a cinema with the actress actually, you know, saying hello was a sort of, uh, you know, a, a, a re- pressing the return key. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and I mean, that was that was a lot of the, the drive behind, like, our curation decision on that because, you know, people had been, you know, denied that chance to see that film on the big screen. So, you know, it, it made sense to, to kind of revisit it. And uh, Netflix, incidentally, is having a powerful influence on our crowds. Uh, there are people... Uh, I can't remember which one it was now. Um, there, there was one of the films I was introducing, and half the people there were there because of Netflix. Yeah, it may have been Violet Evergarden. Yeah, that would make sense. Um, and and so uh, we are, and, and I'm, I'm sure that the end of Evangelion audience will actually be skewed. In you know, it'll be mainly Netflix people um, yeah. coming to see it on the big screen where it belongs. Yeah, that, that'll be a particularly interesting one, actually, because, yeah, like, you have two very different potential audiences for that between, you know, yeah, the people that watched it in the, the, the 90s and the, the new Netflix crowd, so it'll be interesting to see what, what the split is like for that one. Yeah. 
I mean, certainly one of the first screenings to sell out as well. So, you know, the, the audience is, is very much uh, very much enthused for that one. And yeah, like curation overall, we are like kind of like we're working on what we like for the new like the new times. A lot of people may not be able to travel and stuff like expanding what we do with We Love Anime, for example. And like and we're doing a whole like a whole event basically down in Sheffield called Sheffield Loves Anime as well, where we're trying to incorporate some like some more in so that people can travel like don't have to travel as far to see content if they can't make it up to Scotland, mm. like and to just. Like grow what we do basically on it, you know. So I think it's it's gone to that point now where we are. I I will be sad to lose some of the people who make a pilgrimage specifically to Scotland. Uh, if if you start doing Sheffield and you know and, and other locations uh, elsewhere in the country, it may well be that some of our you know long term regulars are like ah sod it, I won't bother with Scotland. I'll just go and see it in you know, Chipping Ongar or wherever. I don't think that's going to happen as much. Cause you I think, think they're nutters. Well, no, because I think that you have to understand as well that like it's the first Scotland will still remain the first chance to see it. In true, the, to, true, like the leg, and it is still an experience. I think if you've been coming to the festival for this long. It's more than just the films. You're coming to see the city and spend time here. Certainly, and uh, I was talking to... So I believe it was Shoot the Rookie. Uh, um, I don't know her real name. Um, and, and she was saying to me that many of the films that she'd seen at this festival were transformed by the experience of being in this particular crowd. So, you know, there, there is that as well. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, I mean, that, that was one of the interesting things that, you know, we, we talked about on, on the Jury podcast in terms of, you know, obviously them watching films in... in, in our secret base in a different location and what impact that has because yeah the audience does make a big difference and mm-hmm. again it's it's one of those things that you know coming out of uh, returning to cinemas has been sort of a reminder because we've had we've all had a year plus of you know watching stuff in our homes and not in in an audience of any kind yeah, yeah it's nice to put clothes on to go to the cinema again <laughs> yeah. rather than sitting there watching it in your pants I think it's okay for the jury not to be in with the audience. Uh, I, I think that the audience award is for the audience experience, yeah. and the jury can sit there in their little pods and just, you know, discuss it at a more academic level. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the main driver for us was just to have, you know, a cinema experience of having a big screen, but not, you know, just having, you know, watch this on your monitor and let us know what you thought. Mm. And, and that always surprises me about the festival. Yeah. And I always forget that every year we get people showing up who have literally never seen anime in a, on a big screen mm. before, uh, and that's that's very odd because what my my assumption as a, as an old person is always that stuff happens in a cinema first and it sort of drifts through the various windows of of, of um, TV and video. But actually, for many people, it's completely the opposite now, particularly for the young. Yeah, like, the method of consumption has changed, and it's, like, it's... I don't know, I, like, I, I, I think, like, a few years ago, like, maybe half of it, like, halfway into the festival's life, I might have been a bit, like, a bit more unbridged. So I was like, oh, I've never heard of Scotland Loves Anime before, but the more you do it, like, the more... Like you also just re- like you realize that there's, like there's, there's always more people out there who haven't heard of it, and like it's a really nice. There, there's always some newcomer. It's, everything is always someone's first festival for somebody, and yeah. it, it could be because they were too young before, or it could be they grew up in a cave, it could be they just you know they just arrived in the country. There's all kinds of reasons why they wouldn't have heard of it. Uh, they may not have been anime fans before last year. You know, you've got no idea. There's also the point of like just generally accessibility. Like I mean, you may like there's a lot of people every year who will talk about it and quite like quite vehemently at times because they like the reality is for whatever reason they just can't make it every year it's not about hmm. like it's not as simple always as a matter of choice it's about whether you can afford to travel as well or such and like 
Absolutely, you, yeah. Like, it's not just about buying cinema tickets. You have to get from wherever you are to Glasgow or Edinburgh. You have to pay for accommodation. Like, you have to... like Other things get in the way. Yeah. I, I, uh, I mean, you remember Hannah, who used to sit in the front row yeah. uh, in a lot of the early... I still think of her as one of our regulars, and she hasn't been for five years. Yeah. You know, so it, it's a bit weird. I do kind of recognise a lot of the crowd. Um, but, uh, but yes, there's, there's still new faces every year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's part of it as well, is like that social aspect of a lot of those regulars now... Even if they didn't before, they now know each other and, you know, hang out outside of yeah. uh, the screenings. And so there is sort of, you know, it's not quite a convention atmosphere, but there is a kind of similar sort of, you know, you get to get together and spend time with, you know, people who you have shared interests with. One of the irritations about this year, and this is COVID's fault, it's nobody else's, is, is the difficulty of being able to use the Filmhouse Bar as a place to hang out and chat. You yeah. can't just wander in and have a coffee and see who's there. You've got yeah. to stand and be seated and separated yeah. from yeah. people. And, and, and I think it's it's been, even from our side, that's been kind of the shame of it. I mean, we've had a bunch of people asking about, you know, sort of the goodies we tend to give away, art cards, things like that, which, again, it's just for everybody's safety, you know, to minimise the number of volunteers and people we have around the building. You know, we've been pretty remote. You've kind of been on the front line of it all, Jonathan, because, you know, we've been very much sort of dis- social distance quite literally yeah. from the festival as a, so as a they, they were, I did actually I went onto stage at one point and I, and I did start saying to the audience I mean, a lot of you who are new probably think that I'm running this all myself because I'm the only person that you're seeing but actually there's like a dozen people in charge of this and, and, and they're not allowed in the cinema um, so normally yes uh, for those of you that weren't there normally there's people there's the various red shirts handing out postcards talking to the fans you know hiding from stalkers all the usual things that go on at a film festival um, and this year it really was just me at the front I mean a- Andrew popped in and said hello and I'm wondering if you're going to do the introduction for End of Evangelion as well because it's point. sort of traditional that Andrew introduces the last film um, <laughs> and, and, but, but, but basically uh, the, the, the festival presence all the work that the people have been doing behind the scenes you know the ridiculous amount of video cutting and arrangements and, and, and whatnot. Um, that have, that have made this happen have all been invisible um, so it's, it's not just the interpreters that, were, that are invisible it's you know uh, Robbie and Andy fiddling with all the video and and the you know whoever it was who was carrying the the DPCs up to the projectionist booth and kicking them to make sure they worked and you know all, all kinds of work and it's just completely invisible uh, and I'm, I'm normally asked if I run things and I have to repeatedly say no I'm the distraction device I'm the guy who's standing at the front waving at the audience while everybody else is running around behind the scenes trying to put out fires yeah yeah and I mean again the, the, the audience order is, is a, a perfect example of that where people who've been in previous years will have seen people scurrying around counting lollipop sticks yeah. losing count of the lollipop sticks having to start over again etc <laughs> whereas this year you know I've just been sat here kind of like in front of a, a, a Mac, just, you know, updating websites and pulling down results and calculating. And he has a Mac the size of Hertfordshire, which <laughs> he's, he's brought with him. So he's turned our Airbnb at the festival into basically an evil, uh, an evil uh, despot hideout. It's like a Bond film in here with all the mm-hmm. tech floating around. Um, and that's all going to have to go back to Glasgow with you, I suppose. So. Yes, yeah, it, it is, yeah. I, I had people literally laughing at me as I carried them into the apartment because they looked at me and clearly thought, this, has this guy not heard of laptops? <laughs> Um, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, I think that's kind of it for a lot of the audience feedback. Um, as mentioned, you know, we, we, are, we do have an extended touring programme this year, so 
Um, if you check out lovesanimation.com at this point, you will find all the details of, of our Sheffield Loves Anime event, which very handily is also still SLA, so that made uh, re- redesigning the Lego really yeah. easy. Yeah, we, we may only be able to run in places beginning with S, I guess. Um, Coming soon. Scunthorpe Loves Anime. <laughs> yeah, so, so that is running in, in November. Um, which also includes Summer Ghost, which is not a uh, a, a title that uh, that we were able to screen here because it's it's not actually ready yet. Um, plus a making of documentary for it, so that's a pretty pretty exciting yeah, addition. Um, and then yeah, we have a, a broader We Love Anime coming across Picture House and, and Showcase Cinemas in various locations as well. So um, some of that is still sort of being finalised in terms of dates and tickets going up on sale, but. Obviously, we'll be keeping people posted on our social media channels with that and, and on lovesanimation.com. So if you're listening to this and you're kind of you know disappointed that you didn't get up to Scotland this year or that you, you've not been able to, to come to the festival up here, then you know hopefully we are coming a little bit closer to you and you can get at least a, a taste of the, uh, the, the Scotland Loves Anime atmosphere and, and get to see some, some anime on the big screen as well. Um, and obviously, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear people's feedback on that as we, we move forward. Um, and uh, you know we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep that going. Um, and having mentioned Evangelion, um, and that that is uh, you know screening at the GFT later this month, uh, it is also coming to cinemas across the UK in November. So if you take a look at evangelionfilm.co.uk, you will find the latest details on screenings of that as well. So uh, there are plenty of, of opportunities to watch End of Evangelion on the big screen, um, as well as, uh, as as well as Death and Rebirth. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty much it, unless anybody has any other thoughts or comments. Cool. Alrighty. Well, thank you very much to everybody for listening. Um, and, uh, hopefully if you were at the festival, you got to enjoy it. Um, if you haven't been able to make it, there is also our online festival. So, uh, you can check that out at lovesanimation.com as well. That runs through to the end of the month, uh, has a whole bunch of films, including Lupin the First and Ongaku, which screened in, in Glasgow, um, and, and Edinburgh. So, um, plenty of stuff to, to keep you occupied, even if you didn't make it here. But, um, thank you once again for listening. Thank you to both Andrew and Jonathan for taking the time on this Sunday morning and getting up early to, uh, to, to have a natter. And uh, we'll catch up with the rest of you very soon. So until then, thanks and goodbye.